let me add my welcome to you this morning and joining with us today. It is great to see you, great to see some faces we haven't seen in a while. My name is Steve. I've been the lead pastor here at Highlands for a little over seven years. And you don't have time allotments on your service schedule, but I am allotted 10 minutes this morning. That's a short time if you, if you normally gather here uh, for a presentation of the gospel. But what you've heard all morning is the story of the gospel. Gospel simply means good news. And you have been hearing the good news from the beginning up until now to your next breath. This is the story of the gospel. But I was thinking this week, if Jesus were given 10 minutes to walk up here and say something, what would he say? I mean, I know that can't happen. He's at the Father's right hand waiting for his return in glory. But what if he did? What would he say? And I don't know exactly what he'd say to this group. I know what he told other people in the scriptures. I know that he told some people that he is the light of the world. And we saw in Isaiah that people that sat in great darkness have seen a great light. He told others that he's the resurrection and the life. He told others that he is the bread of life. He's the actual sustenance that gives life. But I want to mention two specifically this morning as we consider everything we've heard through scripture and song. There is an instance in Mark's account of the gospel where a wealthy man runs up to Jesus and he kneels down. I mean, that's pretty impressive. And this man asks a question that might be lingering in your mind this morning. He asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know, that's a great question. Here's a wealthy man, runs up, shows reverence to, to Jesus, and he asks, what do I need to do to get into heaven? Jesus' response might surprise you. He starts listing off commandments. He says, you know the commandments, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, you must not cheat anyone, honor your father and mother. And the man responds, all these I have kept from my youth. And perhaps that's like us, we think we've done pretty well with God's commands from our youth. We're not as bad as other people. There's a list that I can obey most of the time. And so we say, well, God, I'm pretty good. Is that the answer? Jesus tells him to do something that is unexpected. And he does this not to sort of pave the way that somehow philanthropy gets a person into heaven or poverty gets a person into heaven. But listen to what Jesus says. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Listen to the man's response. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. What Jesus was doing was finding the one area that would expose the depravity of his heart. I mean, he said, I've done all these. From my youth up, I've done these. Okay, do this one thing. One thing you lack. What was it that he lacked? Did he lack obeying one commandment? 
No, but it was that one area that exposed the great need of his heart for a savior. See, since he didn't love his neighbors more than his possessions, it revealed that he didn't love who? And it revealed that he didn't trust in who? In God. A willingness to sell everything in this man's particular situation would have expressed, and this is the the simplicity of it, complete faith in Jesus Christ. Because it wasn't just go sell all that you have and give it to the poor. What was the next command? And what? And come follow me. Jesus is enough. He is the king. He is the savior of the world. Maybe that's what Jesus would tell this group this morning. One of the richest nations in the world. To expose the greatest need of our heart, and that's our need for him as our savior, as our sacrifice. Let me give you one more, one more situation where Jesus is having this interaction between two different people. A religious leader with the titles and the education and the status in his community invites Jesus over for dinner. As the story unfolds, you can see that his motives for inviting Jesus over for dinner were not genuinely from love. And they sit around a table and while sharing a meal together, by the way, in that culture, a meal showed love and trust and warmth. While he's eating a meal with this man named Simon, a Pharisee, standing behind Jesus at his feet, because the way they would eat a meal during those days was sort of laying down on their side up on one elbow and they would eat together. A woman appears at his feet and the scripture says she's weeping and she begins to wet his feet with her tears And kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with perfume. All of a sudden, the dinner turns awkward, doesn't it? Like, we we, we didn't see that coming. I mean, here we are, two big religious guys. It's not how Jesus is thinking. That's probably how the Pharisees thinking. And in walks this woman. Now, this action offends the religious host, the Pharisee. The scripture says, now, when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he said to himself, now notice this, he's not speaking this out loud, but in his own heart, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, if Jesus were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered Simon, Simon, I have something to say to you. And Simon said, say it, teacher. I mean, he's at least regarding Jesus as a teacher, though not a prophet, as we've seen by his thoughts. And Jesus goes and he says this, a certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and another 50. 500 denarii is approximately 20 months of wages. The other sum is about two months wages, 20 months compared to two months. When they could not pay, Jesus said he canceled the the debt of both of them. And then he asked this question. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, right? He knows he's about to condemn himself. The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, you have rightly judged. The first time during the dinner, Simon finally gets it right. He finally judges rightly. Now, now this is a great picture. Then turning toward the woman, he says to Simon, Okay, so sort of see this and note the contrast that Jesus makes. Now, I entered your house, but you gave me no water for my feet. That's just customary kindness. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. 
But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. And I love this statement. Therefore, I tell you, I'm telling you, Simon, her sins, which are many. Let me ask you, did Jesus know what kind of woman she was? Does Jesus know who's on the fringe, who are the outcasts? Those who just have a reputation for sinning? Simon, I'm going to tell you her sins, which are many. Right? That's the larger debt in Jesus' analogy. She's conscious of the magnitude of what she's been forgiven. Her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. That's interesting. But love is not the reason she's been forgiven. It's the evidence that she's been forgiven. But he who was forgiven little, who's he talking to? Simon, the Pharisee, the religious, the elite man in the community. But he who was forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, so now he shifts in the conversation and he looks to her and he says to her, your sins are forgiven. Wouldn't that be great to hear Jesus tell you that personally? You know, he does in his word. He tells you how to receive the gift of his grace. And he pronounces forgiveness to you because you are justified by grace alone through faith in him. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table, see, there were other people watching this, began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, listen to what he says. So it's not her love, her great love, which was the evidence of salvation. He says to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. These are two pictures of the gospel. A wealthy man rejects the gospel, though he's loved by God. A religious man rejects the gospel because he thinks he's doing okay. He has very small debt that he can handle himself. The woman with a reputation for sinning is forgiven because of her great debt and her realization that God, that Jesus can cancel that debt. Romans 5, chapter 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, justified, it's a legal term. It's like you enter into God's courtroom And he legally pronounces you to be sinless. He said, but I'm not sinless. I know. Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But he pronounces you sinless. Why? Because by faith, when you believe in Jesus Christ, you receive the righteousness of Christ. And he takes upon himself your sin. The just died for the unjust. Therefore, since we have been justified, legally declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know that peace this morning? The peace of having been in God's presence and been pronounced sinless, legally declared righteous. Because we've all sinned and the wages of sin is what? Death, eternal death, eternal separation from God. But he offers this gift and he calls it a gift of grace. And it's a gift to be received by faith. When you receive that, he calls you his children and he forgives you. And he actually allows you to understand the purpose he has for you in this life. But also you pass from death to life. And you are with him eternally. John 3.16 says this. For God so loved the world. You know, he loved that wealthy man who rejected him. And he loved Simon. The Pharisee 
and he loved the unnamed woman in the story. God so loved the world that he gave. That's what this time of year reminds us of, giving. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not what? Will not perish, but have everlasting life. If you want to know more about the gospel that you've heard read and sung and preached, we would love to talk to you afterwards. We would love to just walk you through the scriptures on the beauty of God's gift of grace to you because he does love the world. Let's pray.